Hey, good morning. Ah, good enough. My name is Brandon. I'm one, I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn uh, Heights. If you're new to Sojourn, uh, first, second, third, fourth week, let me, let me tell you a bit about us as a church and really about the church, right? So the church, uh, it's not a weekly event. It's not something you go to every Sunday. It's, it's a people that you belong to. It's a community you're a part of. It's where you live life together, rub shoulders and laugh together and fight together. It's, uh, it's where you live uh, uh, as a family. And so the way that we offer belonging at Sojourn is what we call a neighborhood parish. Neighborhood parishes are, are simply this, groups of men, women, and children uh, who meet together weekly for a, for a meal, who have coffee on Saturdays, who just live life together. And uh, the best way to get into a neighborhood parish is if uh, at the end of the gathering, uh, you'll go to the back ta- the tables in the back. There's two maps that show you where in the homes that they, uh, that they meet in. Uh, there'll be people back there who can answer your questions, point you in the right direction. But the best way to do it is just find the one closest to you uh, and jump uh, right in. This is a unique Sunday for us. Here's why it's a unique Sunday for us. It's one of the Sundays where we have baby dedication and baptism. Now, what we did was we did baby dedication at the 9 o'clock gathering, and we are uh, baptizing one of our members uh, now in the 11 o'clock gathering. And so uh, what I want to do is kind of talk about both of those, how they overlap, but we'll get to that. But first, let me, uh, before we jump into it, but let me, let me pray for us. Father, this is a beautiful day where we've been able to come around and dedicate our children and, and now where we get to baptize one of our own. I pray that we would see the richness of this day. That this wouldn't be a hollow, symbolic ritual. But we'd see it for the substance that it is. And that we'd have a, we'd have a more robust understanding of, of, of both uh, our children inside of our church and what baptism is for the church. Let us see that. Would you give that to us today? We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so as I said, uh, we did uh, dedication at 9, and now we're baptizing uh, in this gathering, the 11 o'clock gathering. And so what I want to do is I want to take 10, 12, 15 minutes, uh, and I want to explain three things. One, uh, why, why we're doing them together. Two, how they overlap. And three, the hope that they both share. So why together? how they overlap, and the hope that they share. So why, are, why together? Why are we doing them together? Not that we would always do them together, but why together today? Here's why. Answer, both the children that we dedicate at nine and those that we baptize at 11 belong to the church. Let me explain what I mean. Exodus 12, uh, not, that's not true. Exodus 20, verse 12. Uh, this is the Ten Commandments. This is Moses on Mount Sinai. Um, giving, uh, getting word from God. Now, distributing it, here's what it says. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So, these 10 commandments, which are meant to be the, hey, here's how you live as the covenant community. Israel, the, the people of God in the Old Testament, um, here's, here's how you go and, and you live as my people. I'm going to give you these 10 commandments. And one of the 10 commandments was explicitly written to children. One of the Ten Commandments explicitly written to children. It was, this is how you live as part of the covenant community. Now, the question is this. I think a fair question, a legitimate question. Does that change in the New Testament? It's a great question. I'm glad you asked it. Ephesians 6. 
This is a guy named Paul writing to uh, Gentiles in Ephesus, so non-Israelites. And he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that I may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. And so here's what Paul writing to Ephesus does. He takes a statement that was originally written to um, um, Israelite children in Mount Sinai, and he applies it to Gentile children in Ephesus. He, in other words, in, in the authors of the New Testament, there's not a categorical distinction. He, he's saying, hey, listen, they were called to live in light of um, the commands of God and the covenant community, and your children in Ephesus are meant to live in light of the commands of God as part of the covenant community. And so to crystallize it, I think what we see is that we see Paul um, articulating and thinking of uh, the children of believers, children inside the church as part of the church. But then we come to baptism. Verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slaves or free and all were made to drink of one spirit. So uh, I, I wish I had time to really elaborate on the Jews, Greek, slaves, free, and how the unending grace of God is available for everyone, irrespective of socioeconomic status, race, ethnicity. It, it's available for all. But here's what we see here. Faith uniting us to Christ and baptism marking our entry into the church, that baptism is this pledge, this sign that God marks out his people by. It's his uh, way of saying that I belong to you, you belong to me. And so why together? Because both belong to the church. It's, it's this sign of our entry into the church. So how do they overlap? Let's keep going. Both are signs of what God has done. 1 Corinthians 7, Paul's talking about uh, married couples, we've got a Christian and a non-Christian that are married together, and he's got a lot to say, but in the middle of it, he says this, for the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Now, let me pause there. So this is Christian, non-Christian. This is talking, it's a verb. It's, this is something happening to the non-believer, okay? Otherwise, your children would be unclean. That's uh, shorthand for unacceptable. Otherwise, your children will be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. The word holy is not a verb. So spouse, verb, something happening to them. Children, it's not a verb, it's an adjective. It's a descriptive word of what they are, not what they might become. It's a statement about the status of children. And another word for holy uh, is the word dedicated. And the point, point being that when Paul describes the children inside the church. He says that they are holy, dedicated, set uh, apart. He's describing what they are, not what they might become. And God himself, from 1 Corinthians 7, sees our children as set apart, set apart from the world, set apart to himself. And here's what I find really interesting, that, that just, oh, like, do you know in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 2, he says this, he says, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. Saints, the same word he used to apply to children. It's the word holy. It means th those who have been 
set apart, together with all those in every place who call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. We, we dedicate our children because the Lord has already dedicated them to himself. And we treat our children as one of us because when we put the data together in 1 Corinthians 7, we, we see Paul thinking of our children as one of us, which means in real life practical terms to our members. It's why we, well, we don't think of our children as a barrier to community, but part of our community. So we think of them not as an obstacle to conversation, but those to be engaged in conversation. They're part of us. They're part of us. For clarity's sake, what this does not mean um, is that our children are eternally rescued. They still have to grow up and believe. But what it does mean, what it does mean is that they are recipients of God's covenant blessings and they enjoy the privileges and blessings of church life as well. And this act of dedicating our children as a reflection of what God has already said about our children is why we, uh, it's why we plead and beg that, that they would just never know a day they didn't believe. It's why I, I don't want my kids to have my story. I'm so grateful to what the Lord has done. But I, I don't want my kids, if you ask them at 40, which is my age now, uh, to, to say that I, I don't know, and then 22, I just want them to say, I don't remember a day I didn't love him. I just don't remember, like, I'm sure maybe that day was, I don't know, I don't remember that day. I want that to be, and I want that to be seen as beautiful and redemptive and that you don't have to have some narrative of my life crashed at 50 and then I came to Jesus. Praise God when that does happen. But I, I don't want that for my kids. I want my kids to just look back and go, I just loved him from the word go. That's what I want. The other thing this does um, is it reminds me. It reminds me that generationally speaking, brokenness can be barricaded by grace. It means that I don't have to pass down to my kids all the brokenness that got passed down to me. It means that, that, that I get to pass down new brokenness, but not the same brokenness. <laughs> that was a joke. I don't pass on brokenness. I, I'm just kidding. Uh, it, 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 you know what else it means? It means that I don't just extend grace down the family tree. It means that I learn to extend grace up the family tree. It means that I learn to recognize that, uh, that, that, that I need to extend grace to, for me, personally speaking, to my father. It means that for most of us who grew up and dealt with the pain and the hardships and the struggles of greed in our family, um, divorce in our family, anger, overwhelming anger in our family, it means that for most of us, we need to recognize that what our parents were doing was receiving the mess that they received and doing the best they could with what they had to work with. I'd much rather talk about extending grace to my kids than up my family tree. But this day reminds me that I, I need to extend grace vertically, not just down the line. Dedication is recognition of what God has already done, but then we hit baptism. Colossians 2:11-14 In him also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God 
who raised him from the dead, and you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. How? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. A lot going on in that passage that we are not going to get into today, but here's what we are going to get into. At the heart of baptism are these words, in him, with him. Made alive, that baptism is a sign of what God has done, not what we have done. That it's, that's a sign of our being united to Christ, redeemed by Christ. It's a sign of his grace extended to us, that we have been made allied with him, not something you do to yourself, something God does to you, and it's his pledge that you belong to him and I belong to you. And if I could try to illustrate it this way, um, this is my wedding ring. Um, it's not my original wedding ring. Um, I'm not going to get into that, babe. Um, that's a husband filter right there. If you don't know what just happened, that's wisdom at the age of 40 that just came out of me. Uh, but on May 21st, um, May 21st, 2005, not getting that wrong in front of all of y'all. <laughs> I, I took a different ring, but, but still a wedding ring. And uh, we stood on the stage, and, and I put a ring on her finger, and then she put a ring on my finger. Uh, and we said some vows. Let me, let me tell you what we didn't do. We, we didn't stand on the stage that day and then say, hey, you know what? Since I'm giving this ring, I think we should go ahead and be exclusive. I think from here on forward, like, we should, it should just be the two of us. No, it, it was a sign of a pre-existing relationship. Baptism is a sign of a pre-existing relationship. It's a, as the ring was a visible declaration that I belong to you, you belong to me. Baptism is a visible declaration that I belong to you and you belong to me. It's a proclamation that you don't save yourself, that you are united to Christ because of what Christ has done for you. It's a recognition of what God has already done, which takes us to the hope that they share. The hope they share is that both those that we dedicated and those we baptized would live into the promise of God and hold fast to Jesus. Acts 2, 38 uh, through 39. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And so Peter, this is the beginning of um, uh, uh, Jesus has ascended, the Spirit has come down, and Peter says, hey, the promise, it's, it's for you. It's for you, but it's also for your children. It, it, it's for those who are far off, and it's for anyone that the Lord would call to himself. And what is the promise? The promise is the grace offered to Abraham, fulfilled in Jesus and oh, that we, we, that we might hold fast to this grace. That in the words of Colossians 1, that we wouldn't shift from the hope of the gospel, that we wouldn't go left or right, but we would walk forward holding on, grabbing hold of and the grace of God, and that we would live from that grace, not for that grace, that whether you are seven or 70, that you would live from his grace, not for his grace, not, not living to earn what God offers, but living because you have what God offers, radically different lives, radically different lives. They might look externally the same, but internally they are not at all the same. That we would live from what God has given us, not for what he might give us, radically 
different lives and that we would live as part of the church recognizing what God has done for us and that we would live into the promise of his grace. Live into it by living from it. And so if I could uh, put a bow on it, uh, if you would let me tie it together like this in the words of a famous theologian, Bruce Springsteen, who, I thought that was funnier, but whatever, <laughs> who rightly says, everybody's got a hungry heart. Everybody's got a hungry heart. When we dedicate our children, here's what we're saying collectively and communally as parents and as a church, that we're going to see their hungry heart and we're going to feed that hungry heart with Jesus. And in baptism, when we get in the water, here's what God is saying. God is saying, I'm going to I'm going to feed that hungry heart with my grace, my sustaining, empowering grace. And so what's going to happen now is I'm going to jump down. Gabe and Carlos are going to come up. I'm going to share their story. Uh, and then Gabe's going to get in the water. Carlos is going to um, say the words. You confess that Jesus is Lord and believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead. And Gabe will say, I do. We hope. And he's going to come out, and we're going to celebrate, and we're going to celebrate Sojourn style. Hey, everybody. Uh, so I'm here today because uh, at a, I was saved at a young age, uh, but I was never publicly committed my life uh, to Christ through the sacrament of baptism. So I want to talk a little bit about the journey that I've been through with Christ uh, since I've been saved and, and kind of share my testimony. Um, so throughout my life, God has continually revealed my sin to me, uh, especially now that I have four children. Um, and so some of the ways that he, some of the sinful ways that he's revealed to me are that I'm, I'm quick to anger um, I can use my words pretty sharply uh, to cut people down. Uh, I tend to lack compassion, and I'm, I'm pretty self-centered and pretty pompous. So uh, those are kind of some of the sins God has revealed to me in my life. Um, but despite those sins and through my repentance, um, God has been extremely faithful to me, and he's blessed me in a number of ways, including having parents that... Uh, that love Christ and a wife that loves Christ and support me in my personal walk with Christ. He's also given me wisdom. Um, he gave me a heart for a neighborhood in Houston in the East End that I love. Um, and at the same time, uh, he kind of gave me a conundrum, uh, giving me a heart in the neighborhood in the East End that I love. He gave me a heart for a church here that is committed to the Heights. Uh, and that was something that me and my wife struggled a lot with is, God, you've given us a love for the neighborhood in the East End, and you've given us a love for a church that's committed to the Heights. And we, we weren't sure what to do. Uh, we knew God give it, gave us that love for both of those places, and um, you know we wanted to commit, and we felt like God was pushing us to commit, but it didn't make a lot of sense. So we didn't know at the time when we did commit out of faith for what God wanted us to do that seven years from then— we would be helping plant a church with Sojourn in the East End. Yeah, what a, what a beautiful mystery, right? 
So God has also given me burdens that he has used to sanctify me uh, through my walk. He, um, before we had children, it was kind of a, a prideful thing. I, I wanted to have children that were extremely intelligent, you know, that I could be braggadocious about and smart and go to A&M and be engineers and, you know, you know how it goes, right? So, and, I, and in the same sense, I was very fearful of having children with some kind of intellectual disability. It was a real fear I had because you never know what God's going to give you, you know, when you're pregnant. So, um, so God gave me a child with an intellectual disability. And uh, I think my tear ducts are still working. Uh, <laughs> so, so God has used um, my son Isaiah to show me the beauty of his master plan. And he's also used him to show me the power of the love that God can produce in me. Um, so with that being said, my identity is in Christ. Uh, God has shown me that my political ideology is not my identity and that my professional accomplishments are not my identity. And that's something that I'm still working through, but, uh, it is apparent. So in conclusion, um, it's my prayer that, uh, that I will be Christ's love to those of you in this congregation, and that I will be Christ's love to those in my parish, and that I will be Christ's love to those in my family, and that I will be Christ's love to my neighbors, and that I will be Christ's love to my coworkers and to those I don't know. Let me tell you what I, God, there's so much that I love about this and what we're doing. Uh, one of the things I love most about baptism is what just happened. Let me tell you what I, what I just heard. I, I just heard, Gabe, somebody stand in front of you and say, I, I don't have to pretend to be more than I am. I don't have to pretend to be better than I am. I don't have to pretend to be something I'm not because my, my story is not who I am. My story is who Jesus is and who he's making me into in light of him. Like it just means I can stop the pretense like it means I can stop the pretense, be me, and I can even do that in front of a bunch of people, some I know and some I don't. It means I can look at my neighbor and go, man, you're a better husband, better father than I am, but that's okay. My, my story's not about who I am and who I'm not. My story is who Jesus is. And it just means I can drop the pretense and be honest, and that is refreshing. Uh, he, he is part of our, Carlos is our, where's Car, Carlos? Unit? Carlos is our church planner in the East End. Uh, one of the, I just, like seven years ago, he showed up. They, they loved the East End. They bought a house there before anybody uh, in this church bought a house over there, I, I think. They've been there a long time. They've had a heart for that area of our city for a long time. And they're, they're, they're part of a new church plant going on right now. They're meeting on Wednesday nights in the living room, dreaming about who they're going to be, getting ready to become who the Lord might have them be. And let me tell you why we plant churches. In the East End, Spring Branch, Montrose, Gallery, that's our locations right now. Let me, let me tell you why we plant churches. We, we don't do it to keep a church small. We don't do it because we think, hey, that's a cool-looking website. 
We, we do it so that men and women might one day be able to tell the story that Gabe just told. This is who I was, this is who I am, this is what Jesus has done in my life. Men and women who have no idea who he is, who are uninterested in what he has to offer, might one day become interested. That's why. That's why we do it. Which says, it says to those sitting in this room right now who, who just are uninterested, not because you're actually uninterested, but because you just know your own life and you know I'm probably unforgivable if there is a God. What we're doing right now says, no, you're not. You're not. If we sat up here and we all told our stories of how God intervened in our life, we would have stories of abortion. We'd have stories of growing up in the church. We would have stories of jail. We would have every story. We'd have stories of moralism. One of the beautiful things about what Jesus has to offer is that it's not bound to a background. It's not bound to an economic class. It's not bound to an ethnicity. It's grace of God offered to all. No one too far gone. No one in this room too broken. No one an outsider who can't become an insider. Not one. And so as somebody who grew up outside of the church who at 22 uh, just thought things were fine and then one day out of nowhere started internally searching for a little more, a little more, a little more. He found himself sitting on a bed on a Monday night going, if this is real, I want it. This, is, this reminds me of that day. And remembering that story in light of my own brokenness and uh, a distant relationship with my father leads me right to the table and makes the communion table ever so beautiful. Because at the table, God is saying, I want to share a meal with you. I want to be your daddy. I love being your daddy. I love having this weekly meeting together. We come and we feast together. I love having this meal where I can remind you of how much I love you. How much I love being with you. And so I wanted to quickly address the question of why do we do it every week? We got time today. Let's talk about it. Why do we do this every week? Well, if, if our theologian Springsteen is right, We've all got hungry hearts. Is it just a hungry heart that we have, or or is it a hungry soul that we're born with? So in in uh, mid 1500s, uh, there was a thing called the Belgic Confession, where they came together and said, "This is what we believe about a series of things." One of them was on communion. And listen to how it finishes. It's going to take us a minute to get there, but listen to how it finishes. God has instituted an earthly and visible bread as the sacrament of His body, and wine as a sacrament of His blood. He did this to testify to us that just as truly as we take and hold the sacrament in our hands and eat and drink with our mouths, by which our life is then sustained, so we truly receive into our souls for our spiritual life, the true body and the true blood of Christ, our only Savior, who receive these by faith, which is the hand and mouth of our souls. We, we have hungry souls that we just live with. And every week when we come to the table, here's what's happening. God is feeding our soul, little by little, little by little. 
that hungry soul is saying, hey, come, come on, I've got, a, I've got a meal waiting for you. I'm, I'm ready, I'm ready. It's, it happens by faith, but I'm ready to feed that soul. Come to the table. Heavenly Father, thank you for this bread and for this cup. Would you enable us to eat and drink by faith as we have our souls fed? And as you feed our soul, would it conform us little by little into the image of Christ and his self-giving, self-sacrificial love.